Hey, thanks for tuning into our podcast today. My name is Derek Puckett. I'm the lead pastor at Renewal Church of Chicago. If you want to know more information about us, you can head to our website at RenewalChicago.com. I pray today that this message is a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. Good morning, Renewal fam. How are we doing this morning? Good to see you. Uh, my name is Pastor Steve, as Mike said. Thanks for, uh, thanks for responding. I feel the response already in the room this morning, so I know that you're going to help me preach this morning. This morning, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 50. Uh, Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20 is going to kind of set uh, the agenda for our time together this morning. And, and if you are familiar with the book of Genesis, uh, there's a guy by the name of Joseph whose story we're introduced to in chapter 37. And so what I'm going to attempt to do is tell the story uh, and lift up, kind of land the plane here at verse 20 from 37 on through 50. And when I say the name Joseph, I don't mean uh, Mary's husband, uh, Jesus's stepdad. But uh, what I do mean is the guy, uh, Joseph, in the old, old portions of the Bible, the very first book of the Bible. So when uh, when you've got it, and we'll, we'll talk more about who Joseph is. When you've got it, would you do me a favor and shout, I got it. Got and would you rest on your feet as we read the passage together. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. The very words of scripture. Amen. You may be seated. If you've been hanging out with us over the past several weeks, one of the things that I think that you realize when uh, you make your way through the older narrative portions of the scripture is that the Bible is not rated PG. Uh, there, there are some incredible stories and uh, many stories that if they were to hit the box office, uh, they would not be PG or even PG-13. Um, and so what you see oftentimes are stories of various genre of, of drama and uh, antagonists and protagonists and uh, resolution and God being on the side of the oppressed and a number of different things uh, that you see. We looked at the story of Daniel and, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego uh, last week, and uh, we saw the fiery furnace. And this week, as we step into the storyline of a guy by the name of Joseph, one of the things that I think you have to keep in mind when you look at Old Testament narrative portions of Scripture is that uh, we get to see people's lives, the, the, the problems of people's lives resolved in paragraphs. And yet what is happening in actuality is that years of time are passing. Uh, that, uh, that as we see their problems resolved from one page to another page, that these people actually had to wake up and say, I'm going to trust God today. 
and as we find ourselves in the midst of our lives and one year passes and nothing seems to have changed in our situation or we start to wonder where is God in the midst of all of this, uh, what I want to sort of lift off the pages of our text this morning is the reality that God, when we're in relationship with him through his son Jesus, regardless of how many years have passed, he still is working on the other side, ensuring that his will is accomplished in our lives. And one of the interesting things about this particular story of Genesis 37 is it weaves together a, a kind of soap opera, if you will. I'm not a fan uh, of soap operas, uh, and yet there are some uh, incredibly traumatic things that happen in the storyline. One of the uh, things that you know, people often say is, ain't no drama like family drama. Can I get a witness? And so what you see actually in, in, in this particular story is the epitome of the highest level of family drama, betrayal, uh, backstabbing, uh, attempted murder, right? Uh, or at least the plans for attempted murder uh, in the midst of all of this uh, by family members. Uh, ain't no drama quite like family drama. And as you make your way through the story of Joseph and you see the complexity of humanity, it's hard not to see the parallels of things that we experience in everyday life. Things like jealousy and betrayal and favoritism and trauma and fear and suffering and love. And it would be hard not to see the complexity of the storyline of Joseph's experience and not see the parallels to our own experience of the complexity of humanity and the complexity of life. And you see, the experiences leave us in situations that make us wonder whether or not trauma, the betrayal, the suffering, our own sin and failures, can those things circumvent or uh, after our final uh, destination, can, can the purposes of God be railroaded in our lives or roadsided in our lives by the complexity of humanity and the brokenness that we experience in life? Can the purposes of God be altered or our lives be altered in the final end of the story because of our trauma? because of the betrayal, because of how people let us down. Uh, is, is, is that possible? Is it possible to be dealt an incredibly difficult hand of cards and still finish having, winning, having won the game, having finished on the right side of the game? Tragedy, trauma, devastation. It's from that idea this morning that I, I want to ask a question and preach from the subject, will tragedy triumph? Will tragedy triumph? Will you bow your heads and pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and kindness towards us. We thank you, God, even for the opportunity to gather together and to worship you and now I pray as we get ready to open up your word that you would open up our eyes to see magnificent things that are in it. 
And I pray, God, not only would we see magnificent things that are in your word, but, God, would we be changed by the things that we see? Would we not be just simply hearers of your word, as James says, but would we be doers of your word? And so, Father, I pray uh, that as uh, you speak to your people today, that you would use me as an instrument. Would you stand in my body, think with my mind, speak with my tongue, teach us those things which we are to know, say, and do. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. So we're introduced to this guy named Joseph in Genesis chapter 37, and uh, he is a 17-year-old boy. He's uh, probably filled with all of the kind of vitality and, uh, and, and curiosity that many 17-year-olds have, and uh, he's got his whole life ahead of him, if you will. He uh, and some of his brothers were out tending to some sheep, and evidently his brothers uh, were messing around. They they did something that they weren't supposed to be doing, uh, and Joseph brings the report back to their dad. Brings the report back to their dad, and, uh, and, uh, and his brothers must have looked at him as if he is some kind of snitch, right? Because, uh, because now they, they're frustrated with Joseph. We're not told the details of this bad report, but for all intents and purposes, they, the bad report uh, must have been warranted, but it's clear his brothers, uh, his brothers are not pleased that, they went, that, that he went and told their father. But to add insult to injury, Jacob, the father of uh, Joseph and his brothers, uh, he gives him this kind of special robe. Will you look at, uh, at it with me in Genesis 37? And verse 3, the Bible says it is a robe of many colors. Now, we're not exactly sure what the robe would have looked like, but we're sure that it communicated something significant in meaning. And the Bible tells us in Genesis 37 that Joseph uh, is, is Jacob's favorite child. Now, we're not supposed to have favorites, right? We're, we're at least su supposed to play neutral, right, when it comes, when it comes to our kids. And, uh, and yet, uh, this role, not, not only now does, uh, does Jacob know that Joseph is his favorite, but now uh, everybody else knows that Joseph is his favorite child. And so, uh, you, you, have to understand, you have to understand the picture. I, I grew up... Uh, I grew up as an only child, and, um, and, and so I know uh, the perspective of I am my father's only child. My father, uh, if, if you were to get my grandmother in a private room, she would tell you that my father was her favorite child. And I am the only son of my father, right? And, and so I understand the, the sort of, we don't talk about it, but it's clear, but then when you have other children, and then those other children understand that this one is my favorite, something happens. The dynamic changes, right? And so here's, here's, the, here's the picture. It's like Joseph is, is going to school, and, and he's got Gucci down to the socks. And his brothers are wearing old Navy hand-me-downs. Right, they, they, Chris, they went to the thrift store. Daddy got the, the, their clothes at the thrift store, but Joseph got on Gucci. 
And, and so they, they already are frustrated with Joseph because they think that he, he's a snitch. Now add insult to injury. Their father gives him uh, the, these special garments that make him look like he's special. Uh, y'all, some of y'all ain't into Gucci. Let me, let me see. They, he, he got, they went back to school. They went back to school and, and some of them had hush puppy loafers on and Joseph had Ferragamos on, Right? <laughs> And he had some handmade Italian joints on, and, and they had some hush puppies. Uh, they had Crocs on, and Joseph, Joseph had, you know, some, some designer stuff. And, and so they, they are upset with Joseph. And then uh, when they see that he has this special robe, look with me at verse 4. When his brothers, Genesis 37, when his brothers saw that their father loved him, as soon as they saw the garment, this is what they said. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. And now here's here's what happens in the midst of, of their hatred for him. This 17-year-old boy has a dream. And he shares that dream with his brothers. And the essence of the dream is that all of his brothers are bowing down to him. The Bible says they already hated him before. Now they really hate him. Then he has another dream, shares that with his dad and his brothers. His dad, like, subtly rebukes him, but the Bible says that he keeps the dream in mind. (laughs) And now his brothers hate him. They hate him so much that they actually begin to plot his murder. Look with me at verse 18 of chapter 37. So here he is. He's wearing the coat of many colors. His brothers hate him. He shared uh, this dream with with his brothers. And uh, and now Joseph has gone out to look for his brothers. uh, And the Bible says that he finds them in uh, a land called Dothan, which is miles and miles away uh, from their homeland in Canaan. No, not 50 Cent Canaan. This is an actual place. Uh, Verse 18. Y'all will get that on your way home. Um, Verse 18 They saw him from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. Not just one of the brothers, the whole family got together and plotted. Now, it's one thing to be spiteful, right? It's one thing even to be hateful. It's a whole nother thing to conspire to kill your own flesh and blood. Bible was rated R. This is a drama. There's there's levels to bitterness. There's levels to to envy. There, There are levels to jealousy. And Joseph's brothers straight up skip all those levels and plot to murder him and cover it up. If you think you got family issues... Joseph got family issues, and those issues didn't get resolved overnight. 
His brother Reuben is the only brother who is not fully on board with this murder, right? Then his brother Judah suggests as a kind of lavishly gracious alternative to murdering their own flesh and blood, let's sell him as a slave. So they strip their brother's robe off him, sell him for 20 pieces of silver, dip his robe in blood, and bring it back to their father so that their father thinks Joseph has been eaten by a wild animal. So they sell him into slavery. He's sent off to Egypt. Then they, they live with the fact for 13 years that they lied to their dad and said he was murdered and covered it up. Look with me at verse 33, chapter 37. They said, a fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces, is what Jacob says. Then the Bible says that Jacob tore his garments and put sackcloth on his loins and, and mourned for his son many days. All his children rose up to comfort him, and he refused to be comforted and said, No, I shall go down to Sheol to my son mourning. Thus, the Bible says, his father wept for him. Jacob is absolutely crushed, absolutely torn to shreds, torn to pieces, and the brothers still keep the secret. You think you got family issues. Jacob and Joseph got family issues. Now, if you flip the pages a, a, a couple of chapters and you find yourself in chapter 39, we're introduced to the situation now that Joseph is in, now sold as a slave to a guy by the name of Potiphar in Egypt. The Bible says in verse 1 of chapter 39, now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. So Joseph serves evidently faithfully, and he ends up being put in charge of everything in this guy, this Egyptian guy named Potiphar, everything in his household. So, and he serves the Pharaoh, so he must be in charge of a lot of different things. He served him faithfully for 11 years. Now, can you even imagine being someone's slave for 11 years? And just as soon as it looks like Joseph is getting his life back together, right? I've moved on to this new season. I was dealt some serious uh, lemons in life, and now, uh, now I have made some lemonade out of the lemons that, I mean, some terrible lemons that I, that I was dealt, right? Some a terrible hand that, that, that I was dealt, uh, and, and yet I'm getting myself back up on my feet. I'm in charge of the entirety of Potiphar's household. People are under my management. I, I, I am back in, in a leadership-type position, and I have respect, at least with in this household, and then all of a sudden, the Bible says, and this is interesting because there's only two other people that the Bible says was handsome. Joseph's the third. David was handsome, and I believe Solomon was handsome. And then Joseph, so, so 
So Joseph is, um, is man, uh, uh, the man of the year, right, in terms of it. He's Idris Alba. And, you know, evidently he's that. He's, what's the, Ryan Gosling. He's Ryan, he's Ryan Gosling. And, uh, and, and, and yet at the same time, it's, it's not like it, it affects you, what, how he sees himself or how he views himself. He, he is a slave in somebody's household. And the Bible says that, that he was so handsome that Potiphar's wife plots a way to try and convince Joseph to sleep with her. And then after Joseph says, I, I, he's still following God. He's still living in obedience to God. 11 years as someone else's property after having been sold, plotted a murder against him from his own flesh and blood, sold into slavery, and now he's still saying, I'm, I'm still going to get up I'm still going to worship. I'm still going to put one foot in front of the other. I'm still going to trust God. I still know that he was the one that gave me those dreams. I still know that he's the one active in working things out in my life. I still know that he's a part of my life. And so I'm going to get up and obey God despite my circumstances. And so on the other side of this, Potiphar's wife then decides to lie on Joseph and say that he tried to sleep with her, even though she was the one who plotted to sleep with him. Immediately, he's thrown into prison. Eleven years. I finally got my life back in order. Eleven years, I, I, I had some family drama, and I worked that thing out in counseling and therapy and you know what? I got, my, I got my GED. Not only did I get my GED, but I went on and, and I, got, uh, I got my degree. I got, I got my, uh, my uh, trade license in this particular thing. And, and, and really, my childhood was totally jacked up, right? It was, it was messed up. It was toe up from the flow up. And, and, and yet, on the other side of that season, on the other side of this decade, man, I, I have got it back together. Thank God. And just look, at, just look at my life. I know, I know it was a, a bad hand of cards, and, and yet, man, I was faithful to God in the midst of this for 11 years, and still on the other side, he, pro, he promoted me, and I, I still see his hand in my life, and now tragedy is struck again. And for two more years, he's stuck in jail. But then as the story goes on, the Pharaoh's cupbearer and the Pharaoh's baker are sent to jail too. And each of them have dreams. And Joseph comes to them and says, share with me, share with me your dream and, and let me see if, if God speaks to me and, and I, I'll interpret your dream for, for what it is. And, uh, and so they, they share the dream and, and Joseph tells them exactly the interpretation of, of this particular dream. Um, and, and so he says to them, uh, when, when you get out of jail, when, when they exonerate y'all, remember me. Let, let the Pharaoh know I'm, I'm trying to get a, a presidential pardon out of this. Like help, help, help me out, right? 
And, uh, and so the, the Bible says that they forgot about Joseph. Another year in jail. But then the Pharaoh has a dream. And nobody can interpret it. What you have to keep in mind is that Egypt at the time, I know, I realize it's hard to imagine a greater uh, world power than America because we're Americans in, in that way. And, and I, I said this a couple of weeks ago, but if you can imagine, if you can imagine there's a nation that has existed 150 years longer, hundreds of years longer than America, and they are more powerful than any nation that has ever existed on the face of the planet. That's whose dream Joseph is going to go interpret. All of the brilliant minds, all of the scientists, all of, uh, all of the intellectual PhDs, all of, uh, all of the religious leaders of their time, all of, uh, all of the, uh, the astrophysicists, all of, all of the who's who did not know what this dream was. And then the cupbearer said, I remember a man who interprets dreams. And so they go and, and they get Joseph out of jail, right? And, and, and he, they bring him to the Pharaoh and, uh, and the Pharaoh shares his dream with, with Joseph. And essentially Joseph tells him exactly what's going to happen. There's going to be a famine that's going to, to hit the land. And he then even gives him a strategy for how he should approach uh, preparing for this particular famine. So he, he tells them what, what, what's going to happen, and, and you have to, to kind of put on the, whatever is the economy of this day and age, right? What is the thing that drives the economy? And in that particular society, it was an agricultural society, and so agriculture drove the economy. And so in, in essence, when, uh, when Joseph sort of gets the play of like, what is this going to look like over the next seven years, he then puts in this mastermind strategy to ensure that they save up enough food in order to get through the famine. And so on the other side of the plan and the strategy, the Pharaoh makes Joseph the second in command in all of Egypt. He's the second most powerful person in the world. But watch this. The famine affected everybody. And what happens, what happens in the story is that as the famine affects everybody, it affected Joseph's family. Yeah, yeah. 11 years in jail, two years in prison. You complained to God about four years ago. Here is a man who has been obedient to God, not just for 13 years, 
but for the entirety of his existence. And, and here's, here's, the thing that I want you, here's the thing that I want you to see. Chapter 39 and verse 2. 13 years, tragedy, trauma, betrayal, backstabbing, attempted murder, sold his property. Verse 2 of 39, the Lord was with Joseph. Chapter 39 of verse 21 But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. I imagine there were some days. I imagine there were some weeks. I imagine there may have been some years where Joseph thought to himself, God, where are you? God, I'm struggling with depression. God, I'm, I'm struggling with anxiety because the moment that I got my life back in order after I was devastated, then I got sent to jail for stuff I didn't even do. I got sent to jail for trying to obey you. God, I'm not hearing from you. Seasons of dryness where it's felt like I don't know where he is. Maybe I should try a different church. Maybe I should switch jobs. Maybe I should switch cities. I got all this toxicity around me. I got all this stuff that has affected and impacted me. God, where are you? The Lord was with Joseph. You ever had a season of where it just felt like you were in a desert? It's just dry. Ain't nothing happening. And, and there are seasons of maybe where you remember, I remember when God showed up in a major way, right, and, and, and blew, blew me away, blew my mind with, uh, with what, uh, what he had done in, in my life. And one of the things that, that I think happens over the course of time is, uh, is that like, we're like, where's that experience at, right? Where, where, is, where is this other experience at? Where is this other thing uh, that I really wanted to get out of life at? And, uh, and, 
And what we fail to realize is that there's some microwave blessings and there's some smoker, slow cooker blessings. There, there's some air fryer blessings. And there's a pork butt that's been on there 24-hour blessings. And within the will of God, within, within the providence of God, within, uh, w- within the scope of the will of God and what he wants to perform in and through our lives, sometimes the desert is still the thing that he's using to perform his will. You just don't see the scope of the board. And what he wants to teach you in the process is trust me. And there's certain things that only time can do that. Only time can develop trust. Only long seasons of dryness. Only only time of, of stuff not going right where you can still sing, God, you are good. Yes, yes. Where, where you, you can show up on Sunday morning and, 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 and think to yourself, ain't nothing been really all that good the past six months, but I'm still showing up on Sunday to say, God, you are good. You are still operating, and I still trust you. I'm still holding on to your hand. Ain't nothing changed. And God was with Joseph. Somebody, you need to hear that right now. You got an important meeting tomorrow, and you feel like everything is rising and falling on that meeting. If you're in relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ, God is going with you to that meeting. If the meeting goes poorly, if you're in relationship with that meeting and stuff don't work out, God is still with you on the other side of that meeting. You may have gotten your pink slip from your job. And things seem to be falling apart. God is still with you on the other side of losing your job. You may be trying to figure out, how am I going to put my life back together? I got children to feed. I got stuff to take care of. I got things to do. Here's God's word to you. He's never seen the righteous forsaken or a seed begging bread. He's still with you on the other side. I was 
And y'all, this is just a, I I understand that some of y'all get this for me, and I I realize that sometimes it's just a thing that comes up over and over again in my heart when I think about things like this. Um, My mother had a stroke in 2019, and we were in in the hospital with her, and I knew there were so many people praying for her, praying for her to get better, praying for things uh, to change, and and honestly, I'm, I get to the hospital, and on the other side of getting to the hospital, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm literally, I'm like, I don't leave her side. I'm sleeping in the room, and, um, and I'm, I'm, I'm having, I feel, all, I feel all the pressure of making sure everything is okay, making sure everything is okay, and, uh, and one night, finally, she says, Steve, just go home. Just go home and rest. Uh, and so I go home and go to sleep for the night. And then I come back and find out that they rushed her to the ICU in the middle of the night because she could not breathe. And so I rush over to the ICU, and now I've just promised myself I'm not leaving no matter what. And, and I get, we get back to, to the sort of med, uh, medical surgical uh, floor, the kind of catch-all floor, and... She's having trouble breathing because she's, she's, got, uh, she's got fluid on her lungs. And, and I'm trying to, to talk to the nurse practitioner and talk to the nurses and say, no, that, y'all got to figure something else out because this whatever, whatever is going on is not working. And, uh, and I almost, and you know, I'm, I'm one of those people that's like, there was a time when I just didn't fool with you like that. I, I, I recognize that I'm a pastor and I'm a Christian, so, so I just, on, on this side of things, I'm like, man, I still got to honor the Lord with, with how I talk to people, right? But on the other side, there's another part of me that's like, yo, I will cuss you out and fight you. This my mom. And, and so finally the next day, there's a nurse that comes in and figures out what's wrong with her. She just fig- she figured it out. The nurse practitioner didn't figure it out the night before. The doctor didn't figure it out the, the, the night before. The doctor, when he came, the doctor in the morning knew, knew what it was. She was just a regular nurse. Her name was Kay. And the moment I saw her, I thought to myself, I've seen you before. Uh, And I I began to rack my brain of where I had seen her before. And then I realized at Eastern Star Missionary Baptist Church in Indianapolis, she was the lady who did the sign language for the deaf ministry during the sermons. And I had always seen her on stage, but what she did for work was she was a nurse on a med surge floor. And so watch this. I'm praying and frustrated with God, really. I'm kind of just angry because I know there's hundreds of people praying for something better to happen, for something to to get resolved, for, for things to go well, right? For things to go, just for things to go well, and they're not going well. And now here this lady is, and I realized who she was, and I spoke to the doctor, and they said, oh, Kay's the best doctor, or the best nurse on the floor. Of course she figured it out. 
And I watched this woman braid my mom's hair. If you know anything about hospitals, typically the, the CNA or, or the nurse, nursing assistant would do some of the day-to-day uh, sort of uh, things to take care of things. But she was so good at her job that she was able to figure out, she was so good at her job that she was able to do everything that she needed to do so well and quickly that she was able to stop and wash my mother's hair and braid her hair and give her baths and talk to her about God. And I realized on the other side of things not going so well and feeling like I had to, I had to control every detail of everything that God was saying to me, I'm still here, Steve. I'm still with you. I'm still with you. By the way, he used a nurse named Kay for all my nurses out there, all my school teachers out there all my medical professionals out there. I don't know what you're going through right now. I don't know what obstacles you face. I don't know what devastations have come your way. I don't know uh, what things you feel like have been railroaded in your life. I don't know what decisions you made that make you say on the other side of those decisions I think the destination of my life has been altered. But this is what you need to hear from God's word today. God is with you. God is with you. God is with you. I know, it's, I know it sounds simple. I, I know... I know that we, we could sit here and, and, and rehearse the fact that God is working all things together for, for the good. And we could shout that, right? We could shout on that one. And, and we, we could shout on, lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And, and yet there are times when we just don't feel that way. But it doesn't mean that he's not with you. He's with you. So the text goes on. The famine has, has hit the land. And... And now, all of a sudden, Joseph is second in command of all of Egypt. He puts together this master strategy in order to ensure uh, that they're able to make it to the other side of the famine. And then people begin to hear that there is a place that has food still. And so you, you can imagine if, if Jacob, Joseph's dad, has 12 children, right? And then he has, he has all this family and all these people. That he, he's a wealthy person and a powerful person in his own right. And yet they get to a place where they don't have food. And so they hear that there's a, a man who's the second in command in all of Egypt who has food. And, and they are giving it out to ensure that people can still live. And so they make their journey, they make their journey to Egypt and they go to meet with Joseph. And the Bible tells us uh, that based on Joseph's attire and the things that he wore and the way that he talked, he spoke a different language at this point. And so when they go to meet with Joseph, they don't even realize it's Joseph, right? 
And then in, in chapter 42, excuse me, uh, yeah, 42 of verse 2, it alludes to this impending death that if the family don't get food, uh, so their father sends them to Egypt, and eventually through a series of events, his brothers and father would all come to Egypt, and guess what they did? They bowed down. The exact fulfillment of the dream that he had shared with them when he was a 17-year-old boy. It's a lot of tragedy, a lot of trauma in between. And yet what God had shown Joseph when he was 17 is exactly what happened in Joseph's life. They bowed down to the man who was second in command in all of Egypt. And let me see, let me, let me see if I can kind of just, just illustrate it, it this way. Because at, at cookouts, right, at every, every cookout, if you're going to be a legitimate barbecue, and I honestly, this is, I didn't have all the time to be able to do something like this yesterday, uh, Tim, uh, but if you're, if you're going to have a legit cookout, my son turned, uh, he turns one on Tuesday, but we had his, his birthday party on Saturday. And, um, and if you had a legit cookout, it won't be a legitimate barbecue until somebody pulls out a deck of cards. And one of, one of the particular games that people like to play at barbecues is the game of spades. And one of the things that you have to understand uh, about spades, for, for, for uh, my lighter hue brethren in, in the room, think euchre. One of the things when it comes to the game of spades is that you always have a teammate. There's somebody that you're connected to that, that you have to be connected to in order to win the game. And so you might be sitting on your side of the table looking at the hand of cards that you've been dealt. And you're saying to yourself, I can't win these books with this hand. There, there's no way on the other side uh, of this game that I'm going to win, right? And what you have to understand is that in Jesus Christ, you and I have been connected to someone, and he doesn't always win the book, but he does that on purpose. He holds his hand until it's time to win the game. And when it's time to win the game, he's always got the highest card. And if you've got the ace of spades, it does not matter what book you lost or what hand that you've been dealt with. It does not matter if you've got uh, uh, two of, uh, of hearts and that's the highest card that you've got in your hand because the person you've been connected with has the ace of spades. He's just waiting to play it for when the time is right. And I stopped by to share with you this morning that if you are in Christ Jesus, 
I know you've had some ups and some downs. I know you've had some twists and some turns in your life. I, I know that it looks like, man, this, this hand of cards that I have, there's, there's no way that I can make it out on the other side of this hand of cards that I have been dealt. I, I understand that you made that decision and you thought that decision is going to change the destination and going to change my future. And if I had not married that person, if I had not had a child with that person, if I had not been uh, to that school, if I would have just made this decision on the other side of this, then I wouldn't have altered my future. And yet the reality for those of us who are in Christ Jesus is we've been partnered with the one who always holds the divine ace of spades. That's, that's the thing that I love. And, and people, people will say, people will talk about what, what are the benefits of being a person of faith? What are the, what are the benefits? I mean, I mean, really, though. Right? Like, your life doesn't really look that great compared to mine. It's the peace I know. If I fall flat on my face. If I make the wrong decision, he's still so gracious and kind that on the other side of the game, we still win. I could go 10, 15 years trying to figure out whether or not I made a better decision in my past, would I not be here? And I know some of you go to work and, and everybody, it feels like everybody's, you know, everybody's jo- jockeying for position and, and how many hours did you put in and, and, and there's sort of a certain level of pride with like, man, I, I'm really dedicated to this. And, and, and you look at the other side and you're like, man, I'm trying to have work-life balance or I'm, I'm trying to have boundaries with, with things and actually enjoy, enjoy my life. But you feel pulled into this. Keep your boundaries. Enjoy your life. Receive peace. Because you've been connected to the one who always wins. Watch this, and we'll get ready to go home on this. Genesis 49, at the end of Jacob's life, after he is provided for the family and everybody there. Jacob is on his deathbed, and he pronounces a blessing. He says, over Joseph's brother Judah, the one who said, let's sell him. He says, Judah, your brother shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down before you. Judah is the lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down, he crouched as a lion, 
and as a lioness, who dares rouse him? The, she- the, uh, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Here's the picture. Jacob pronounces blessing over Judah. Guess whose lineage comes through the line of Judah? Jesus is said to be the lion of the tribe of Judah. What God does in Genesis using Joseph is to ensure the promise that he made to a guy by the name of Abraham in Genesis 17. I'm going to make of you a great nation. And in the process of God superintending that happening is all of the storyline of Joseph's trauma, his tragedy, his difficulty in life. And on the other side of it, God still accomplishes his will despite anything that happens. The Bible tells us in verse 18, as Jacob passed away, Genesis chapter 50, excuse me, Genesis 50 and 18. As Jacob passes away, the brothers now begin to believe that if Jacob dies, Joseph is surely going to take revenge. He only kept us alive because of our daddy. And the Bible says in verse 18, behold, you are my, you, we are your servants. This is what his brothers say. But Joseph said to them, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant it for evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So Joseph forgives his brothers and and is reconciled back to them. And and, and it needs to be said that while God is always working all things together for the good of those uh, who love him, the, the truth of the matter is that we too readily, we too readily, and here's the twist of the drama. We too readily see ourselves as Joseph in the story. Oftentimes we look at the heroes of the Bible and and our old preacher used to say, we we look at the Bible as if uh, it is a yearbook. Always looking for ourselves. What do you do the moment you open your yearbook? You see, we don't have much in common with Joseph. Actually, Um, we're not the faithful son who obeyed the father. Um, We're not the one who readily forgives and restores. Um, We're not the the ones who uh, wake up day after day and obey God despite the things that happen in our lives. Now, we fail at that all the time. As a matter of fact, if there were characters in Genesis 37 through 50 that you and I are most like, it's not Joseph. It's Joseph's brothers. 
Because our, our inclination is to hold on to guilt uh, and to hold on to bitterness and, and to be petty towards people and, uh, and to be unforgiving, to harbor that in, in our hearts. And, uh, and, and we're, the, we're the ones who, uh, who try to cover up stuff and, uh, and manipulate situations, right? That, that's where we find ourselves, oftentimes on the other side of things. And yet here's the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We had our own Joseph, who was sold, not for 20 pieces of silver, but for 30. We, we have our own Joseph, who was obedient to the father, despite being lied on and sold uh, into slavery. We, we, we have our own Joseph, who, uh, who uh, died a criminal's death, uh, in spite of the things that, that we had done. And it's because of our own divine Joseph that he now empowers and enables you and me. In response to his death, burial, and resurrection... To be like Joseph. To recognize that God is with me. 13 years has passed. He's still with me. To be faithful despite the fact that things haven't changed, circumstances haven't changed. You see, because Jesus was betrayed, we, we don't have to worry about our destination being altered, but we can rest assured that all things, in, in all things, he's working it together. Because Jesus rose in victory over Satan, sin, and death, we can rest in the reality that trauma and tragedy will never have the final say. We may have been dealt a bad hand, but we're partnered with the one who holds the ace of spades. So to answer my question, will tragedy triumph? Emphatically and resoundingly, no. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for your word. God, as I said earlier, we, we readily see situations and, and uh, tensions and stories get uh, resolved in paragraphs, and, and yet we fail to realize that these are people who lived in actual life who had to walk with you despite their difficulties and their trials and tests and so I, I pray God that we would remind ourselves that even even as we get ready to sing God that that we, we sing in response to yeah the, the situation may not have changed but I'm going to be faithful the situation may not have changed, but I'm still connected to the one who holds the divine ace of spades. Decisions in my life may have, may have altered the way that, you know, in, in a way that that's out of my control, but they're not out of your control. Tragedy may have happened, but you're still working. Suffering may have happened, but you're still with me. God, help us hold that tight to our hearts help us be changed by that reality and help us worship you in response to that truth we pray all these things in jesus name amen 
Thanks again for tuning into our podcast today. I pray that it was a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. I look to see you at one of our services at 9 or 11 a.m. on Sunday morning. Take care. God bless you.